You are now entering Nowhere, California. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast sites like iTunes by searching Nowhere, California. A reminder, Nowhere, California podcast is our old feed, so please subscribe to Nowhere, California, our new feed. Also, you can get your Nowhere, California fix online by going to our official website, NowhereCalifornia.com and emailing us at nowhere underscore california at yahoo.com ideas from everywhere voices from nowhere since 2011 hi and welcome to nowhere california's coverage is this it's not right is this a why not yeah i i finally wrangled you into doing one what was the last time we did one of these last time we did one of these is uh let me see so i married an axe murderer it was like a year ago over. Oh my god. Well, let's see if I still remember how to do this, right? Uh, as per usual, why not? We're going to be discussing uh, 1984's Dune, so spoiler alerts folks, if you haven't seen the movie yet, you might want to pay it a visit or, or read the book. I don't know if those two will help one another, but... Uh, well, if you're like me and you've watched the movie three times and still are a little bit confused about it, oh, don't, yeah. don't jump back and uh, watch it because... You're about to get it dissected by a guy that loves us. Yeah, I got you covered. Don't worry. We'll get you through this. Hey, Josh. The sleeper has awakened. And for the listeners, that sleeper in this uh, situation is why not? It's been a fucking long time. Hot minute since we've done one of these. I'm I'm saying fucking because we're taking that restraint off that we never put back on. Yeah, that's wow. So that's going to be an upcoming episode. Yeah, we'll have to tell you all about why we're going to get meaty with some of our words here. But uh, yeah, but yeah, this is uh, you know this was an interesting one. You came to me and you said, "Hey, let's you know let's let's do this for for February." Now the intention was for us to, to back this up. We we should have been releasing this to you a little bit earlier. But if you listen to the gravel in my voice, it's not just because I'm you know I've been doing sexy porn voiceovers, yeah. but. Uh, I've been traveling abroad and came back and I, I got very ill and so did uh, you know most everybody of the, else in your house. Else, <laughs> yeah, everybody else in the house got really sick too, and so we uh, we just kind of said, okay, we're gonna we're gonna put a pause on this and we have to release just a little bit later. Yeah, so here we are, you know. And we're we've been doing this uh, around seven years now. Right. We're still getting the scheduling thing down. I figured, you know, the movie came out in '84. There was plenty yeah. of time. You know, what's well, a little yeah. bit longer? But uh, just to refresh everybody on what the hell <laughs> why nots are. Uh, basically, why nots are our discussions of certain movies that may have been forgotten, flown under the radar, or just in general, uh, people may not know too much about. Yeah, maybe you've been up. Uh, you know, you're up late at night and you're you're going through your Hulu or your Fire Stick or your you know whatever you might be going through. And uh, you glance over a title and you go, you know, I've always kind of wondered about that movie. Yeah. This is a uh, this is kind of our our way of navigating those waters for you and and uh, and and giving you a peek at at well, giving you a pretty detailed peek yeah. at uh, these movies. Yeah, like uh, in the past, uh, we did a whole freaking series on Robin Williams movies after the man passed away. Yes, yes, we did. And uh, we're like you said, the last time we'd done this was uh, sorry, Marion Axmer, which was I think over a year ago. Yes, but God, oh, uh, yeah. It was a good one to yeah. uh, go on the hiatus with, I guess. Absolutely. It was and one of my favorite uh, comedies, and it, and it just seems kind of fitting that you would uh, allow us to jump into one of my favorite sci-fi films of all time. Well, yeah, that's kind of interesting. We'll let you pick that last one, and now we're letting you pick the next one. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you've been very generous with these, and uh, I brought plenty of chapstick, and um, I, I do have a copy of my blood report, so yeah. you know that I'm clean. Yeah. And... Uh, well, well, here we go. 
Uh, we'll discuss this a little bit more later, but realize the next time we're going to do the Why Nots uh-huh. will be April. Oh. And you remember what we usually do in April when it comes to Why Nots. Yes, I do. <laughs> and we're going to drop the knot. Yeah. <laughs> so, once upon a many, many moons ago, um, well, actually, if, if you're doing it from the perspective of Dune, it's... Boy, this is going to be difficult, isn't it? Yeah, yeah 10,191. Yeah, it was one of those, and that was the thing that I really noticed a lot of those future uh, movies. But that's in the year of the Padishah Emperor shot on the 4th. Yes, yeah, yeah. exactly, right? <laughs> and deer in headlights already. <laughs> exactly. That's the one thing before we really dive into it, uh, the futuristic movies. It's always interesting what they choose. Right. Um, okay, so... To give you a little backstory on this, uh, Dune was a novel that was a science fiction novel, a very detailed and beloved uh, science fiction novel by the uh, sci-fi novelist Frank Herbert. Um, Spawned several other follow-ups to it, um, Children of Dune, God Emperor Dune, um, you know, Dune, House Camino, there's all all kinds of different stuff. Um, It's... It's really, the, the gist of it is this. It's set, like we said, in the year 10,191 in the natural course of history as, as we know it. And it centers around one planet, Arrakis, also known as Dune, um, where this element or this uh, <clears throat> substance called the spice, uh, or spice melange, is, is mined. Uh, it's the only place you can find it in the entire known universe. And it allows... Uh, a group called the Spacing Guild to provide transportation for everybody. It's um, it's a, it's not a fuel. It's like a super conscious uh, type thing where they, it it kind of penetrates right down to the the genetic code of you and changes you so that you can do things mentally and and whatnot. And it allows you to fold space basically. Yeah. So um, within this, you you know you you kind of get this, oh. Man, it's hard to dance around the outskirts of this without getting too deep into it before well, you get did confused. Pretty well, with it right there, though, yeah, because we we are going to dive more into it. Absolutely. But uh, I think before we really go deeper, well, let me just throw it out there. There's it's it's basically the the uh, royal families instead of yeah. having um, like a palace in some country, they have entire worlds to themselves, and it centers around the family of the Atreides, uh, the Atreides family. They're, they're kind of the lead. They've been sent to Arrakis or Dune, uh, to, to oversee the mining operations there by the emperor, uh, who might or may not be, uh, working behind the scenes with the Atreides natural enemy, the house Harkonnen, yeah. uh, a barren, a barren group within the, the weird dudes. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really interesting. You know, they're portrayed very differently between this film and then what we saw from sci-fi. Yeah. The um, TV movie. Version. Yeah. The, the big kicker with this planet is, uh, there's a lot of mysticism like, uh, desert warriors and things like that. And, um, giant sandworms. Yep. And the, the big thing behind it is Arrakis has never once seen, um, in recorded history, has never once seen an, a drop of precipitation. There's no water on this planet. So it seems. Yes, so it would seem. Um, and it all ties in together here, but it's... it's we'll, we'll, we'll dive deeper. Right. And, but for right now, I think as I, I, I'm playing all of our why nots back in my mind, mm-hmm. uh, I think we usually go into the cast about now. Okay, so this cast is... is stacked. It is huge. Um, it, it It's really... As far as uh, English actors and stuff, and a lot of American actors as well, um, uh, and a lot of uh, theater actors, it is a 
just a smorgasbord of who's who's involved in this. Um, first of all, first of all, let me let me just throw it out there. Soundtrack, amazing uh, soundtrack. Soundtrack is outstanding. Has has very you know like as a lot of films in the early '80s and stuff like Highlander and things like that have this kind of neo rock kind of fa- uh, feel to them. And this for this one, it was Toto. Toto, yeah. And uh, you know why we miss the rains down in, in Africa. Africa. They sure as hell miss them down on Iraq. Yes, too. they do. And then um, also, too, um, this movie was directed by David Lynch. Yeah. And it shows quickly. <laughs> Absolutely. It had a budget of $40, uh, $40 million. Um, only grossed 30 domestically. Which is interesting, but also, too, with it being David Lynch, even though it was released now with David Lynch, it, people still have that weird thing about David Lynch. Where it's, like, right. I mean, it was crazy ambitious. Oh, yeah. Uh, Especially and, and, for this era. Exactly. I mean, it was... It was it's just such a huge undertaking, and so it's uh, it, it's very interesting to see, uh, you know, the route that they go with it. So, um, I, I guess we'll because the way that they do it in the credits in the film is they do it in order of appearance, which I yeah. always thought was pretty awesome, well, it, also, or alphabetical order. Alphabetical order, yeah. It. So, it, in in this, we'll we'll just kind of give you the lead off. The um, <clears throat> the main protagonist in this film is is a David Lynch staple. Kyle McLaughlin. Yes. Uh, you know, of our Twin Peaks fame and whatnot. And uh, Showgirls, if you're really uh, yeah. diving. If you're really into those uh, whys. Yep. Um, so he, he plays um, the the son of the young Duke, um, he, Paul Atreides, basically. Yeah. He's, he's kind of our protagonist in this whole thing. So if we if we run down the whole list of this, man, you've got Kyle McLa- uh, McLaughlin, Paul Atreides, Virginia Madsen, who plays uh, – Princess Irulan, she she's kind of the narrator of the story, and she well, you see her the, right off the bat. Yeah, she's the daughter of the emperor, uh, you know, right off right off the bat. Uh, Richard, Instead of the Star Wars crawl, we get her lovely exactly, <laughs> which and she does a fantastic yeah, job. She too. Does. So you get you get you know uh, a legendary uh, actor uh, Richard Jordan uh, plays Duncan Idaho, Freddie Jones, another English presence uh, through for Hawat. Linda Hunt uh, is one of my favorites in this. Plays the shout out Mapes. Um, Jose Ferrer plays the Emperor. Brad Brad Dorf. I love this guy so much. Uh plays Piter DeVries. Um it's <laughs> I I'm just glancing over these because if I stop to explain who these people are, you're gonna be like uh, It'll be a wait, series of episodes. <laughs> I don't yeah. Um you know, but you have uh oh this this one I always did because everybody goes, Why do I know that guy? Uh Everett McGill, uh who plays Stilgar. Yeah. Do you know where else you know him from? Oh, no. Uh, He was the main bad guy in uh, uh, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. That's the reason I never saw that. Yeah, yeah. I barely can make it to the first Under Siege. You're not missing too much. Yeah, I know. Uh, Kenneth McMillan plays uh, uh, Baron uh, Vladimir Harkonnen. Um, (laughs) That dude. Seriously. And, I mean, if we're... Oh, I loved her too much. Um, uh, Sean Phillips, Reverend Mother Guys, Helen Moham. Um it's I, you'll see in a little bit here. It's Benny Jezzer, which is what she is. Uh, uh, Jurgen Prochnow yeah. is Duke Leto Atreides. Uh, Paul Smith, Patrick Stewart. Now here you go. Yes, Patrick Stewart plays uh, one of my three favorite characters in this film. Uh, great uh, Gurney, character. Gurney Halleck. He's the weapons master for House Atreides. Um, he's he legendary in the books. He's uh, he plays the Balaset, and he, you know. Song. He's he's just a swashbuckler in this, uh, you know, in in the lore of of Dune, um, and he's fantastic with Paul and all that stuff. Dean Stockwell of uh, of Quantum Leap yes. uh plays uh, Doctor Wellington Yui. Um, 
com- imperial condition not to betray, you know, people. Uh, uh, not to betray <clears throat> people? <laughs> well, well, yeah, I mean, yeah. in the grand scheme. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Max von Sydow, who is in everything. Um, you know, the recent Star Wars. and then That's besides uh, Conan that. the Barbarian, all That's this stuff. Plays Dr. Kynes. Um, Sean Young is um, Kyle McLaughlin's love interest in this, uh, Chani. Um, I mean, they, it, you just well, run down the list. Now, the, the big one that I'm skipping over here is Fade Rautha, one of my favorite villains in science fiction uh, history. He's the ne- uh, the nephew of uh, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, played by Sting. Yeah. Um, just I a, think that's one of his only roles he's ever done. It's It's weird, but he legitimately comes off as a badass there's moments where it's just like you see shit kind of spirals yeah. off to the left and you just look at his eyes and you see there's intensity in his eyes but you don't really know where the intensity is supposed to go and well, i don't think he knew where it was supposed to go the character either. is a nutcase um well, it, to a degree to well, a degree. that whole that whole clan right is a bunch of nutcases. you have to understand that uh in in the novels and stuff like that they're not they're a rich aristocratic yeah. family they just happen to be very ruthless and they don't mind killing and yeah. this they are some of they it's that classic trope of a lot of 80s you know 70s and 80s sci-fi films where they make the bad guy just like grotesque and you know they they really want to root they did him really good job on yeah that they one. really want to root him in, in some kind of like you know yeah. that kind of thing so um but it's i mean it, it, God, you could go on and on and on. There's there's so many little big players that you just go, holy shit, uh, you know, the pop up in here. But they all have, they'll do a really good job. It's a w- really well formed cast because it you is. can see every level. Like when you, you start out, you see Kamala Lachlan in yeah. his world and everything, and he's you can tell something's up because you're hearing his thoughts and everything. Yeah, there's a lot of you get a lot of whispering. There's a lot of whispering that goes on yeah. in this film. So stuff like this, what they talk about, you know. I will not fear. Fear is a little death. Fear is a little death. Yeah. You're like, what the fuck? It's their inner thoughts on a lot of stuff. Um, and you have it, it's to help you tie into the idea that uh, the, the Bene Gesserit sisterhood, who are kind of soothsayers, they they feel things emotionally and and they can mentally, and you know, like psychically probe you. Um, they're advisors to the top people with the, you know like the the emperor and uh, you don't really see one for the Harkonnens but you, you see the reverend mother who's hand in hand with the emperor shows yeah. up on Caladan which is uh, the Atreides homeworld to test Paul um, oh that sequence holy crap yeah that's well basically what it is is the, the Bene Gesserit sisterhood tries to manipulate royal bloodlines by telling them you can only have girls you can only have boys and the the concubines or the or the wives or whoever that are involved usually obey well the the trouble they get into in this one is lady jessica the bound concubine of uh uh duke leto atreides the big popular one within the um they call it the lawns rod um he's He's the you know the center of, of all of this you know going to take over Arrakis. She disobeys and has a son instead of a daughter. So they're like, well, you could have had a girl and it could have been wed to a Harkonnen heir and it could have bridged this gap and there wouldn't have been infighting and all of this stuff. They talk about that. But wasn't pretty early weren't on. they twins? <laughs> no. Or that uh, that's one of the many things I no, the, blazed over. So what what happens is you know the uh, in in the very in the very beginning of the movie you get a visit. From the uh, Spacing Navigation Guild, uh, yeah. they show up and, and have a one-on-one visit with the Emperor. 
and they're like, there's a lot of things that are going on. We see all this inner deception. We see that you want to draw out the Atreides and have them killed and this and that. We want to have a look at Paul. And they're like, why Paul? And he's like, we just, we need to, we need to see, we something. need to know something more about him. Something's up here. The, the reason is there's a super being that, that there's a potential of being created called the Kwisatz Haderach, which is basically like God. Yeah. Messiah. He's, he's the hand of God. And, um, and that he'll upend everything. Like he, he, he can stop spice production on Arrakis. He can prevent people from being able to travel. Like he can bring the universe to a halt. Um, you know, for, uh, you know, with, with what he's able to do. And that's all because of the spice. So they're, they're kind of concerned with this, this Paul, you know, like we got to take a look at him. So Reverend mother shows up on Caladan and tests him to find out how human he really is, how skilled he really is. And, um, you know, he's, well, that's a thing to point out too with sure. Paul. There's a scene where uh, Patrick Stewart and the crew come in uh-huh. on him, and you can tell very quickly the date of this movie by the quick little battle sequence him and Patrick Stewart have. <laughs> they're they're body shields. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're uh, they're CGI body shields, which are uh, you know like a reflective surface. In in the novels, it just kind of it's the thing they hit on their belt, and it encompasses their body. You don't really More see it. Suit. It's like a shimmer, almost like a, a mirage. But uh, in this, or in the like, vein of uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, they're spacesuits. Yeah, very similar to that. Yeah. Um, and they, they refer to it as, you know, it's the shield that only, like, it stops bullets and things like that and, and blasts. But the slow blade will penetrate it. Yeah. So, but this is more that's where the eighties version of yeah, that. Yeah. So you see a lot of like you see, you see them with knives and stuff like this a lot, and you're like, why the hell do they have these knives? Uh, you know, so right off the bat, it's uh, you know Patrick Stewart, uh, Stewart uh, Gurney Halleck, you know, and and Kyle MacLachlan, and he's like, you know, get up, boy, we're we're gonna do, uh, you know, we're gonna practice some some battle, you know, and stuff. And he goes, I'm not in the mood for it. He's like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so they they start going at it, you know, and trying to kick each other's ass, you know, and whatnot. And he's like, wow, Gurney's not holding back, and this and then. So they're trying to get him prepared for going to Iraq. So they're like, look, the Harkonnens used to have Arrakis. It's going to be crazy. Like, we're getting out in the real world, and you are going to be the next Duke, and we have to prepare you. You know, like, you're the finest student that we've had in yeah. every aspect, fighting, studies, everything. You're the finest one. So they start off, you know, duking it out. No pun intended. <laughs> um, but then they unveil their new weapon, the uh, the weirding way, the weirding module. And it's this device, which, and, and I got to give credit to, I got to give credit to Lynch for this. Um, it's, Okay, in, in, in the book, the way it's described, and if you see the sci-fi version of it, the way it's described is it's almost like a way that is taught by the Bene Gesserit in which they move and they they can they can move fast and powerfully without being seen very well. It's almost like a whisper is the way it's referred to. So that's where the sound aspect comes in. What he did was to try to, to, to give you an idea of what this is. The weirding way is a sound module that attaches to your neck yeah. and it channels down into this gun and that sounds certain sounds will transfer, yeah, in, transfer into the gun. And depending on what you can do, weaponized sound. Yeah. You can either cause a blast, uh, you know, specific blast. You can burst organs, set things on fire. You can do all, you know, kinds of different things. And it's, I thought it was an interesting take on it because when you read the book and I was like you with the film where the book was concerned, I read the book three times and was like, I'm not sure I understand everything that fucking happened. (laughs) You know, it's, it's really in depth, 
but uh, you know, they introduce you, you know, introduce us to that, the new weirding module and all that. And the, the fact they're getting ready to leave Caladan and go to this dare, you know, dry, arid place called Arrakis and take over. So basically this rever mother, she shows up to test him to find out how well trained he is. Yeah, we get a little bit of a uh, fight club moment here. Yeah, it's it's oh, no fight club mixed with uh, seven. Yeah, it's a little. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's, yeah, what's it's in the box? Weird. What's in the box? What's in the box? It's gonna be your boiling hand. Well, she says flat out pain, and <laughs> yeah. it's basically what it is. It's nerve induction through, um, um, like mental stimulus. Yeah, right? and it's through through suggestion. Um, so he places his hand in this box, and she tells him she puts this thing right up to his neck. It's filled with poison that'll kill an animal. She puts it right up to his neck and says, "If you pull your hand from the box." So things are gonna poke you in the neck if you can't control your emotions. This the poison will kill you. And so, you know, he's shitting a brick, and and you know he's, that's where you get more. Than, I shall not fear. You know, a lot of the whispering and trying to control his, you know, his thoughts. And he proves stronger than any woman's ever, you know, done it. In that it's not like a sexist thing. It's just because of you know. Well, yes, yeah, the mother mothers are right. like when they talked about the water of life. Yeah. Only women have. Do you know? In. Do you know what the water of life is? By the way. Grape Ludini? Uh, sure, sure. <laughs> it's the bile, so it's like the and the gag of uh, uh, the baby worms on. Oh Arrakis. wow! Yeah. Oh. And it's incredibly toxic. So, okay, I can see. This, that's why you get that line. That's like you know, many men have tried and failed. No, yeah, they've tried and died. They didn't say that during the movie. Yeah, though. they do. What, oh, okay. They do. It's brief. It's very, very brief. And you have you. I'm telling you, the only reason I know this is because I love this. I made Christina get this for me. Like this was the top of my. As soon as I found out it was out on Blu-ray, yeah. it was the top of my list. Uh, I, I, like, I may yeah. give it a little time and then borrow it again from you. To, Absolutely, yeah. feel free. Let's just like let's just jump ahead. He passed, you know, passed all their tests, and they they head off for Arrakis to take over after the Harkonnens, and so they're going through all their, you know, trying to make sure there's no booby traps. But also, too, during this time, we are introduced to the Baron. Yes, we go. We we jump over to Planet Gidi Prime, which big sinister planet looks like a big black marble with you mm-hmm. know uh, in, in space. And Vladimir Harkonnen, who has had Arrakis taken away from him and given to his sworn enemy, the Atreides, for the spice production, you know. And, and he's not able to... Um, I mean, he's working... You, you find out that he's working in collusion with the Emperor. Uh, it's not like a big secret or anything. It, they reveal that right off the bat. But um, it's because of how popular the Duke Leto Atreides is in... in and all this stuff, and then they think that he will become more popular than the emperor, and the emperor will have no use, and so it's it's a big plot um, to to eliminate him. So you get introduced to, to to Baron Harkonnen and his plan, and this big bubbly dude. <laughs> you're gonna yeah, and he's got he's got acne all over his you know. I'll give you one line that's going to gross you out because it grosses me out every time I see it. Put the pick in there, Pete, and turn it round real neat. Yeah. It's, yeah it's, <laughs> He's like your your disease is love yeah. to me. It's really fucking great. And then he starts floating around. Yeah, that's that is one constant they keep in everything. He's um he has either it, it's either some type of injury or he's obese to the point oh, where he's, he's obese, right? But he's in in the I can't remember the novel if it was a combination of the both, but uh, he's uh, he has a like a harness or a rig that allows him to float as opposed to walking. Okay, um, and so. And that was really explained to me. It was just like kind of, hey. It's just kind of thrown at you. It's my flatulence. I can move around. Dude, I'm telling you right now, the VHS copy of this, when when I owned it, it came with a little handbook. Like there was a little booklet that came with it that described 
all of the things that they just glance over for a second and you go, wait, what the fuck was that? Yeah. And you can go back and you can look cool. it up. Like in the beginning when they talk about, you know, like we just folded space from X, many machines on X. And he's like, what the fuck? Is like, what a, is X? It's another planet. Is that a special feature on the DVD or I don't did know they, they just they decide it. to... I don't know like, if they have it on the DVD or not. Damn you ignorant people, you got to read the book. I, th- I think it was kind of just to fill in gaps for people because yeah. there's so many obscure things that are thrown out there that you just go, wait, wait a minute, I don't understand. Yeah. What is it? So... Um, anyway, so you get introduced to them and, and their plot, and they're like, we have a traitor within House Atreides that will bring them down. And I will I will take the Duke's signet ring, and I will bring House Atreides to their knees, and, you know, fuck these, you know, fuck them, I hate them, they're all handsome and pretty and beautiful and nice, and I want to do dirty things to Lady Jessica, <laughs> and, you know, and all this stuff. Yeah, and then they, <laughs> they introduce you to the Beast Raban and Fade, Fade Rautham. Um, the nephews of the the Baron who are, you know, Fade's going to go in there and kick the shit out of them. And he goes, and when I'm done breaking them and bleeding, then I'll send you Fade. And Fade's, Fade is somebody who's just this physical, it's Sting, you know. Like yeah. He's, he's he looks wiry and skinny and crap, but he's, you know, you can definitely tell he, he's um, built for speed and combat, you know. And he's uh, he's just this ruthless very well trained um now he's not an assassin he's he's literally like Paul Atreides is but to the Baron Harkonnen he's like that's that's his his nephew he's the one that will more than likely become Baron take over yeah yeah, down down their parent (laughs) so um so you're building to a, a showdown between those two at some point and um Anyway, so the now the, the big mystery going into it is not just the spice, you know, and how the Harkonnens would skim money off the top, you know, and do things like that, but it's the people that are there on Arrakis, the Fremen warriors, yeah. described with their blue within blue eyes, which means the whites of their eyes, um, they're saturated from the spice, and so the whites of their eyes glow blue, um, which is really fucking cool. Yeah, right? it was very, like... <laughs> You can tell that had to take a lot for that type of right. FX technology. And so, like one of the one of the guys, that, you know, Duncan Idaho, uh, Duncan Idaho, he sent ahead um, to kind of scout out Arrakis before the Atreides get there. And he goes, "I think I, like, I think I may have uncovered a secret here. Uh, I think our alliance lies with the Fremen." He goes, "I, the, the census is incomplete. We don't know how many there are on Arrakis or whatever, but." Because if the stories are to be believed, there's vast numbers of these people, and they hate the Harkonnens. So we may have a natural alliance there, you know. Um, so it's their process of them leaving Caladan, going to Dune, you know, in Arrakis, and taking over there, and earning the trust of these Fremen people, and you know, kind of things. And before shit gets sideways, um, where the, uh, you know, one of the one of the one of the three of the inner circle, I should say, or the four, you know, you have Duncan Idaho. You have um, um, Gurney Halleck, Patrick Stewart's you yeah. know, character, the War Master. You have Thufir Hawat. Now, Thufir, you're going to be like, Thufir Hawat, that's a silly name. Not nearly as silly as them fucking eyebrows. Yeah. Um, him, <laughs> a lot of those eyebrows. Him and Piter. Yeah, there's two of them. Piter. They're, they're called Mintat Assassins. They're basically, uh, they're these, these people who have these brilliant minds, and they're honed to the point where they, you know, they're, they're basically like these supercomputer type people that, that plan out attacks and you know they oversee all of the security and, and things like that and so um, Thufur is the one for Atreides and uh, Piter is the one for uh, the Baron Harkonnen 
And then the last one is their personal physician, which is Dr. Yui. Um, Dr. Yui is, he has this like diamond on his forehead. Yeah. It's imperial conditioning. So that they won't, you know, that they're, they're bound to whatever family that they're conditioned yeah. to, to take. Like care. in the sequence where he's <laughs> checking everybody out, make sure they're not going to attack. Right. But then Make sure they're not medically tampered with, but then you, you mm-hmm. realize that there's notes being passed. And, yeah. Oh my God. Like he, you know, he, and it he, turns out he's the, he's the traitor, but he's not necessarily tra- Like everybody thinks he's a traitor. The, he, he's a, a traitor of, with a uh, side purpose. Well, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of foretelling and stuff. There's a lot of, uh, you know, like, um, prophesize things that are going to happen. And he basically is kind of the, the, the best way I can describe it is I don't want to, I don't want to call him Judas, but this is the best way I've always referred no, he, to it. Yeah. He's the one who sets everything in motion for the Atreides to be betrayed, but then to rise back up. Yeah. So he knows that Duke Leto is going to die and that's, he's, he's going to be the one that's Pulls instrumental in that. Yeah. Um, but, then, but he's going to bargain for the lives of Jessica, the, the mother who's also Reverend mother and then Paul and they escape, you know, and, and he, he tries to set it up. What you find out is that the Harkonnens killed his wife. And so even with all his conditioning and stuff, he's like, I'm going to get fucking revenge on you know, Baron Harkonnen. There's nothing I can do. They're coming for, like, we know that they're coming for the fucking Duke. So I'm going to set things in place so that when they do come for him, that hopefully he can take out Baron Harkonnen. Yeah. What he winds up doing is putting this poison tooth in his mouth. And Very when, interesting when House, sequence. Yeah, when House Atreides falls on, on Arrakis to the Harkonnens with help of the evil, you'll hear this a lot in the movie, the Sardaukar terror lesions. And it's, it's these think of a think of like the Navy SEALs on fucking crack. Like they're just these amazing killers and, and, and uh amazing soldiers and they're controlled by the Emperor. Well he gives a shitload of them to the Harkonnens to help them take over. And um they uh they come in and they just tear the shit out of the Atreides and, you know, leave everybody for waste. And Jessica and Paul are kind of cast to the wind, but they, they meet up with a Fremen and basically it ends up with Duke Leto laying on his back and he's got this tooth that's been put in place, a gas cap tooth. And, um, Dr. Yu keeps telling him when he gets close, he's going to want to gloat. And when he gets right over your face, bite it and blow in his face. And so he, um, when he thinks it's, you know, he's, he's, poisoned and he's dying yeah he's dying he's and so he's basically he's, tripping balls yeah, and thinks it's the baron he but thinks it's baron, but it's piter it's yeah. the uh the mintat assassin and when he gets close he bites that tooth and blows it in his face and fucking kills piter right then and there and so you know uh harkonnen uh vladimir realizes eh, fucking atreides is dead like ha ah. and then that during that whole thing too that gets another one of those gross lines too just a little spittle. Just a little spittle. Yeah. He's got Jessica and he's got her gagged because yeah. part of their weirding ways, they use the thing called the voice. Yeah. Where they say, you know, like, uh, like Alia, the daughter, you'll find out later on. She says, you know, tell them who I really am. And it forces the, the, the sound and the way their voice travels. Yeah. It forces you to do things. Um, it's a manipulation of the sound and stuff. And so they've got her gagged and fucking Baron Harkonnen floats right over and he's, I just, I just want to spit on your face just a little spittle and it's not dude it's a fucking mouthful of gack that he just yeah. and spits and it lands right in the corner of her eye and I was like fucking dude good, good on you for hanging tight for that whole thing but yeah. holy shit I hope when they call cut she kicked him right in his fucking nuts <laughs> yeah cause it was it was pretty gross but uh you know Dr. Yui 
gets killed. Um, Nin is betrayed because he thinks yeah. the Baron is going to... Let him see his wife. He thinks yeah. his wife's still alive. Yeah. And they stab him in the back. Piter actually kills him before it happens. And then, um, uh, you know, Jessica and Paul are taken out into the desert to be killed. And um, they mount their escape then. And that's when they meet up with the Fremen. Now, there's an interesting thing that happened in the book, which they... I have to look and see if it's in the specials, like in the behind the scenes on the on the Blu-ray. But it's my favorite scene that happened in the book. And they did it really well in the sci-fi thing. When they first meet with the Fremen... Um, Stilgar is the leader of the, the Fremen around the area. And they really don't know a whole lot about them. So they don't know a whole lot about the Fremen. So they have this meeting of people and the, and the Duke's there, Duke Leto Atreides and Paul and fucking Piter and Duncan and all these people are there. And then the Fremen come in and they're all dusty and, you know, dirty and, you know, from being out in the desert and they get blue with them blue eyes and they're sitting there and there's this, you know, stuff going on. And, and, uh, um, Stilgar's really watching fucking Paul because they believe he's the one prophesized to lead them. The hand of God, yeah. Yeah. And he's really watching them. And it's like everything that Paul does is unwittingly and unconsciously doing everything exactly the way that they've done it for centuries. The way they wear their these things called still suits that help them walk in the open desert. So yeah, that was they, a very interesting sequence. Yeah, like he's helping one dude to do it and he goes over to Paul to start setting him up. But he's like... Yeah, here's his desert you, you, fashion. You've done this right. You've worn this before. Yeah. You? And he's like, no. It's it's something they glance over in the movie. Dr. Kynes, um, Max von Sydow's character, it turns out that he's a, he's a Fremen, like he's like a shaman. He's a huge leader within the, the Fremen, but you don't know that. You just know that he's a, a, a planet ecologist and uh, he helps the, the, you know, the different houses out. And so he comes over and he's checking everybody over and he's like, here's what you're going to do. You wear the still suit and walking is the pumping mechanism. So as you sweat or if you pee or if you take a shit in the suit or whatever it is, it dispels everything. Like it expels everything else and then it reclaims the water and you can drink it from this. You know, like it's a really highly sophisticated filtration system. So it helps them survive in the open desert. And, um, you know, water, of course, is the most precious thing. One of the things that they don't tell you is there's a sequence where they're all standing around this table and as as Stilgar's quietly watching Paul and everybody's arguing back and forth about the Harkonnens and booby traps and all that stuff, Stilgar slams his knife, um, the blade of his knife, into the, the table. Um, their blades are made from the teeth of the fucking worm. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's called a Chris knife. And he slams it into the table and everybody pulls their knives and guns and shit and gets ready to attack Stilgar. And he says something... And then just fucking spits on the table. And they're like, what the fuck? Like, and Paul stops everybody and goes, Stilgar, leader of, you know, the southern regions of the Fremen, thank you for your gift of your water. Because everything, there's no, there's no precipitation there. There's no water. So it's such a precious thing for him to spit on the table because he's voluntarily giving some of his water. And it's a show, it's a show of respect. And everybody else is like, shit's a brick when it happens, yeah. except for Paul. Paul's like, no, no, no. This is water. <clears throat> he goes, thank you for your gift of water. We gladly accept it. And, re- you know, and so he spits back. And it's like an exchange. And it was like, Swap that's spit. so fucking <laughs> rad. Like, it's just, it's, it's really that in depth. But you have to, you have to know those nuances. So, yeah. um, anyway, so the other big aspect we're not talking about is, and I really do mean big aspect, is in the open desert... Um, the there's worms. these fucking worms, the, the worms of Arrakis. And they talk about it in the beginning, uh, I've obtained the record of a small specimen, only 150 meters. And he's like, only a hundred, Jesus. It's like Godzilla laying on the beach. Yeah. It's the size of these fucking things. 
and it's these huge worms that, that like a trifold mouth that opens up with all these teeth in them and um, as they're out there mining and stuff if they stay too long the rhythmic vibrations attract them and uh, they, and they, come, they come up from underneath and, items called the thumpers right yeah, yeah which help pull them away you know it's yeah. a uh, distraction yeah and they tell you when you're walking down the desert don't walk with any kind of rhythm like yeah you know try to Go Monty Python. Yeah, get off uh, of the embassy of the embassy silly walk. Fucking silly walks. It's fucking hilarious. Uh, that, that's actually in London. It's it's that's so fucking funny. Uh, so yeah. The, anyway, these that's these, another deleted scene. Them just going wiggly woggly go. through the desert. So there's this whole. Like, I feel like an idiot. You you learn that there's a, a relationship between arrakis and the worms and the spice and the fermin like they're all connected and it's just been this long shattered thing and that's why they're waiting for paul to come along because he's going to unite them and um it's the story of paul behind the scenes he takes on you know he joins up with uh with the fremen along with his mother and he trains with them and um, she becomes the she becomes their new reverend mother like she's but that dying. even causes the birth of yeah they don't realize that well she does she knows it but um, she drinks the water of life to become their new reverend mother it's different for women um, the women it doesn't affect them the same like it does with the men like they said many men have tried and, and tried that so she takes the water of life but it causes this acceleration in the growth of her fetus she has a, a baby girl and, and uh, then you really realize, yeah, oh, this is a David Lynch film. Yeah, because then it's really fucking twisted because when she's born, she's really <clears throat> kind of like, you're like, ooh, God. Um, she's, uh, there's nothing physically wrong with her. They all have bald heads and stuff the women do. But um, she has all the powers and, and knowledge of a fully grown uh, Benny Gesserit mother, you know, like a reverend mother and all this stuff. And she can do the weirding way and she's, she speaks very weirdly. You know, she's, <laughs> she's really fucking weird. Very Lynchian. Um, but, you know, there's that, and they, they stay within the the, the uh, Fremen ranks, and that's where all these prophecies that Paul has dreamt about, you know, and, and, you know, the things that he discusses with his father, you know, the sleeper must awaken, the sleeper must awaken. And uh, Paul realizes that what his father was telling him was that he needed to take the water of life to possibly become this Kwisatz Haderach, this super being. And uh, they're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like, you've been leading us, and we've been secretly kicking the shit out of the Harkonnens, and we've been slowing down spice production, and now the Emperor's getting involved, and he kills off fucking Raban, and, and who's, who's been running things, you know, and he's like, he's fucking up, and he cuts his head off. And, you know, there's all kinds of shit starting to hit the fans. So the Emperor, and everybody turns their attention to Arrakis because Paul and the the Fremen are all causing hell and havoc and, and, and then mining this spice. Well... Paul decides, look, there's only one way I'm gonna, I'm going to serve any, you know, like do any any further good, and that's if I take the water of life. And so he does. He takes the water of life, and like three or three of these worms show up, and they just kind of guard over his body, and they're like, they've they've never come this close. Why are they just sitting there? Why aren't they attacking? And it converts them, and yeah, he he. Yeah. You know, they, he stands up and his, his eyes are fucking blue and within blue, and he stands up and he puts his hand to the sky because that's the the whole. Uh, you know, that was the the dream he had was the, the handprint over the moon and he, at this point he's going by uh, Paul Muadib. Um they just know him as Muadib. and um he come you know, he comes up and he's like, Father, the sleeper has awakened. It's really fucking cool and the, the soundtrack kicks in. It's yeah, it's a fucking great sequence. And um and then that's when he's like, We're really gonna start fucking some stuff up uh-huh. and in one of their raids they run into a group of uh you know, these these 
bounty hunters and pirates that have basically been hitting the Harkonnens for a while now. And you find out that Gurney Halleck, the Patrick Stewart's, you know, Stewart's guy has been fighting the Harkonnens on his own thinking that, what can I do now? I was part of the Atreides. There's nothing I can do. Reunites with Paul. Like he comes in on the group. He still guard and all these guys, Chani, his mom, all of them. They're all kicking the fucking Harkonnens ass. And then they decide to mount this all out assault on, uh, the emperor. Yeah. And basically bring everything to their knees. Like, we'll stop all fucking spice production, period. The entire universe will have to turn its eyes to us and, you know, and our cause and understand that we we run everything. And um, so it, you know, they, they fucking attack and it comes out of this big clash and they're using the fucking worm. They're riding the worms yeah. and using them to attack. Was- and, <laughs> and they teach them the weirding way, you know, and the, the, with the sound and all that stuff. And then it comes down to it where... You know, the Fremen come in and, and they've got the Emperor and they've got everybody sitting there and, and uh, you know, they're he's telling them, you're going to make way for the righteous now. You're going to make way for this path, you know, and that's, you hear fucking uh, Sting's character fade. Like, the righteous. And like, well, there's a Harkonnen among you still. <laughs> and he's like, you know, if the Harkonnen wishes, you know, he can, he can meet me with his blade, you know. And the Emperor's like, he can meet you with my blade. And, so they they fucking they go to duke it out and then you find out that Paul can do that whole weirding thing without With the, without even without the, the, the yeah, voice without the module uh, yeah and it's it's a cool sequence too because he fucking jams the knife into yeah Sting like after he, Sting does this like cheaty cheat thing where he's got this uh, this weird suit and it's got a blade that comes out and he's like my blade's you know filled with poison and you know I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna be banging your girl when I'm done and all this you know like, he's he's taunting the shit out of him. And then Paul does this like well, I will bend, I will bend like a reed in the wind, and he shifts and throws fucking uh, fade, and ends up on top of him and jams that Chris knife right up, right up in his chin, and, yeah. and you see it, you see it in mouth. his mouth and everything, yeah. and and then he gives, and him then one he last stands blast. up and does that just you know like uses the the voice and it fucking cracks his chest and his yeah. eyes roll up into his head and it's fucking cool, it's a cool, yeah, it's very cool uh, finale, yeah, and. Um, or the start of a really right. cool finale. And so at the, you know, at the the end of it all, they're like, and how can this possibly be? How can he do all these things? You know, because there's, there's a moment where he just, you know, he's like, all the eyes, uh, he says, we Fremen have a saying, uh, oh shit, what is it? Like, it, Arrakis was sent to test the, and like test the will of God or something like that. One mustn't go against the will of God. And he's standing there and he, you know, he's got his robes on and everybody's realizing that he's this fucking person now, you know, and he's, you know, and all of a sudden his power brings rain to Arrakis and everybody's like, Oh my God. And the plains of Arrakis. (laughs) And it gets really weird because little Alia goes, and how can this be with her little creepy voice? She goes, and how can this be? For he is. And I think she's the, a little bit more raspier, yeah, though. She's like, you know, for he is the Kwisatz Haderach, you know, and then it, it goes into the big Toto over to her, and, you know. And, and you get the finale. Yeah, and he's standing there and it's raining, and the fucking friend are like, oh my God, he really is our Messiah, and it ends like that. And then it goes into a cool cutscene where it shows. And by the way, I think every fucking movie should do this. Um, they're in credits says, you know, in order of. Uh, there's this alphabetical order at the end. Yeah, they But it shows. The, the people person, standing there. The person in their profile, and they're kind of like smiling and everything, and it says their name and you know who they played, and then it's just it's playing out and you see well, that the was waters an, of fucking Caladan in the background and all. Well, stuff. that was an old school thing. Like you'd get that a lot in yeah. classic movies. Like probably that movie was probably start of the end of that yeah, process of the credits. 
it's a fucking trip. The movie, all in all, like you it said, is. like no. you said, you know, when like, you, when like you saw it, it's like, uh, yeah, like you what? said, it was kind of a uh, what, what, what? Yeah. You really but have to fucking. I, be I dug it though. I yeah. dug the movie a lot. It's uh it's an absolute trip. Keeping with uh, why not tradition. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna dump a really weird one on you. Okay. Gonna, it's, it's not a it's not a weird one, but you're just like, oh my god, could you imagine what almost happened? Yeah, well, if you can't tell, we're going to do some trivia. Yeah, now. we're going to do a little bit of trivia here for you, a little, a uh, little bit of the uh, behind the behind the scenes and some some unknown facts that uh, some that I didn't know of, some that I did know of, but uh, the one that caught me right off the bat was uh, David Lynch turned down the chance to direct. Come on, you want to take a guess? Um, what came out roughly around there, eighty three, eighty four? It's one of the Star Trek films. Close. Star Wars? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, he turned down the chance to direct Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi to direct this film telling George Lucas, it's your thing, it's not my thing. Which is good. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I dig I dig what he said there, but uh, it's odd because right off the, the th- bat it says, David Lynch has said that he considers this film the only real failure of his career. I read that too yeah. the other day, which was like, wow. Especially with it being David Lynch. David yeah. Lynch has done some weird stuff. Well, he, yeah, and he says like to this day, like if you try to talk to him about it, he, won't, he doesn't go into great detail about the production. But, but also too, every filmmaker unfortunately does have that one film that kind of is like you know what right let's well, stay off of that one you know like how richard donner wanted to do the superman 2 director's cut you know things like that and, and the, he's refused to do like, any kind of special refused features to do any yeah. special special edition or anything like that or be a part of it he said it and, and lynch's quote is he, uh, revisiting the film would be too painful an experience to endure now, i'm curious what it is i i think it's because of the scope of what he wanted to yeah. do. if you see some of the behind the scenes on the dvd the the blu-ray the ambition of this, because I mean, the novel is so fucking. Yeah, I think with the ambition, the death, and everything too. You gotta think David Lynch probably went to the table with one thing, and the studio's like, no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's probably a battle between him and the studio that probably caused him to be like, you know, what, no. It's yeah, it's very possible because the the scope of you know what they do, like trying to become so intricate and in the things that they talk about and why so many of these little tiny things that seems so insignificant as you're watching it, but they, they make it, they give it so much seasoning and flavor, you know, to it. So, um, here's kind of a weird one for you. Okay. So there's a scene in there where Paul has to, as a rite of passage, has to, uh, call and ride one of the sandworms by himself. And then he can call the other from and they can climb up and do it. So in the sequence, he's got this, this thing that, um, you know, they're segmented like a regular worm is. So what you do is you slide this thing into between these little slats and expose it. Oh, and yeah, it crack. Uh, yeah. And and what they'll do is they'll turn it away from the sand to keep it from getting embraced. And um, it rolls up top. So that's how he gets to the top of the worm. It rolls it far away from the, the sand. Okay, so there's that sequence where it goes, and yeah. you, you kind of see the kind of stringy tendons and stuff like that. That was That effect was done using condoms. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. So they just filled it full of stuff, and it was. I mean, it came out like I was. Oh yeah. You know, I was like, yeah, hey, that's all right. Um. Uh, the original director for this was Ridley Scott. That'd been interesting too. Yeah, because I mean, you got Blade Runner, you got Alien in there, and all that stuff too. Yeah. Um, he left the production after his older brother suddenly passed away. Um, Scott. Uh, Ridley Scott wanted to start working on it as soon as possible, but Dune would take far too long to reach production. Um, he decided to leave the project in favor of. Let's see. 
Blade Runner, probably. Yep, yeah. Blade Runner, 1982, which was ready to start production immediately. The sequel to Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049, uh, directed by Denis Villeneuve. Um, yeah, and he's supposed to be... Oh, so uh, Villeneuve is uh, also directing the upcoming remake adaptation of Dune. So cool. I guess they're supposed to be doing another one, which really fucking excites me. That, that could be interesting, especially right. now with the uh, technology, even... Even the TV movie has been a while since that one. Yeah, that was... one was uh, William Hurt, and I, I don't remember a lot of the other actors in that. But that one was much more comprehensive as yeah. far as the book was concerned. But then you got to think now. Yeah, it'll probably be the most comprehensive it could be. Yeah, absolutely. I would yeah. I would say so too. Uh, the su- the suits worn by the guild members were body bags that were found in uh, a disused fire station dating back to the early 1920s. Oh, wow. So, yeah, those when they come in and they're in those black things and they're sweeping, and so those are yeah. actual body bags. Hopefully not used. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> on the heels of that, it says the bags had actually been used several times. That answers that question. Something that was kept from the cast members until the shooting was completed. Oh, yeah, that's fucking gross. That, that seems like a, like a union violation. Yeah. Um, the total number of production crew came to 1,700. Dune required 80 sets built on 16 sound stages. More than six years in the making. It required David Lynch's work for three and a half years. That's probably why. And I'll do. It it's probably so, draining. Yeah. Um, Fade Rautha was originally supposed to step out of that steam bath thing completely naked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sting had agreed to shoot the scene nude, but the studio panicked and told the costume designers that they had to put something on. The skimpy wing G-string thing that he wore was almost, uh, the, like, it was done at, at the very like, yeah. last minute. I thought that thing on it. looked weird. It was like a weird diaper thing on him. During the film's original release, Cheat Sheets, let's see, this is what I'm talking about, explaining much of the movie's settings and its more obscure vocabulary were handed out to moviegoers at some theaters. That's cool. Right? See, that's what I'm talking about. Well, that's that's one big thing missing from the movie theater today. Even just random, like, little things to give out. Like, yeah. you really haven't, there really hasn't been any movies that have had that kind of a lore to it to go, right. hey, here's a cheat sheet. But something like that. There, Like, I've been to a couple, like, Thursday premieres of movies where, like, I got a really kind of cool uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 kind of poster thing. Sure. Pins and stuff like that. But something that... You can constantly just kind of go to a movie and go, oh, wow, well, cool. Yeah, it's something you can draw reference on, you yeah. know, e- either during the film or after. But also, too, we live in an eBay world, <coughs> so people yeah. would be like, oh, wow. <laughs> well, um, How much money can you get for that? One of one of the things I've always wanted to do was cosplay uh, the still suits. But trying to find a uh, – trying to find the, the plans or how to put one together is really, really, really fucking difficult. Yeah. Well, that's it's an really intricate hard. suit. It is. Um, I mean, because it's segmented and pocketed and stuff like that. It's really odd, you know, and it's kind of a uh, – it's, it's like a black color and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but it it would just be – to me, I would, I would love doing it because I, I know the con- – there's a contact company I've seen that does um, what they're called the Scalera lenses. Um, it's the ones like when you see in horror movies and their eyes completely black, if they don't CGI it over, there's a contact that they use. It, you have to fold it almost in half yeah. and put it against the eye and let it go. And then it kind of moves its way the around eye. the entire white of your eye, which oh, is wow. called the sclera. They do that um, with the Dune ones as well, where you can do your entire eye blue. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so you can still see your eye moving around, but it looks like it's glowing a bluish color. It's fucking rad. Um but Sir Patrick Stewart said the still suit was the most uncomfortable costume he had ever worn. Max von Sydow said the same thing, but he also said he put up with it because he loved the way his body looked in him. Because <laughs> they do. They look badass. Um, 200 workers spent six months handing, uh, hand clearing three square miles of Mexican desert for location shooting. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nuts. Um, 
David Lynch uh, in, in January of 2006 uh, said, Dune, I didn't have a final cut on. It's the only film I've made where I didn't have. I didn't technically have final cut on The Elephant Man 1980, but Mel Brooks gave it to me. Uh, and on Dune, the film, I started selling out even in the script phase, knowing I didn't have the final cut. Uh, and I sold out. So it was a slow dying, the death. Uh, I think it's probably like yeah. we talked about. I think it's probably a mix of the time period, like yeah. how long it took. Well, I, I mean, six years. And also, I, I it right there kind of tells you the studio is probably just like, no, you got to do it this way. Yeah. You, you got to you, you go with it. Yeah, he really, you know, like it, it was just. It was a paycheck movie for him. Yeah. It, it quickly became a paycheck movie for him. He probably went in with the best <clears throat> intentions of going like, oh, my God, I'm going to be able to make this insane vast movie dune i wouldn't be able to make dune yeah but then like shortly realizing it was gonna be a lot more than what they yeah, thought. it's like i'm yeah. not gonna be able to make my dune um there was a toy line that came out really oh yeah it's fucking it's it's actually not bad yeah it's actually not i believe it's kenner wow that's... i believe it's kenner line um and as, as a matter of fact it wasn't that long ago that i was looking up the uh the sandworm they have they have a sandworm playset oh, wow. they i mean they have like the uh the, the miner and they have the um uh, the carry all that pulls pulls the mining, you know, uh, things out. Yeah. <laughs> there there is a Vladimir Harkonnen figure. Oh wow! Uh, but it's Kenner, so it's like there's no like, discernible features or anything like that. But uh, uh, David David Lynch and producer Rafaela uh, De Laurentiis agreed. Uh, I'm sorry, arranged a screen test in New York City with Sean Young for the role of Chani, which is you know Paul's love interest. Uh, Young's agent never told her about the meeting, and she was in fact booked on a flight. That oh, evening God. to Los Angeles, Lynch and De Laurentiis missed their flight back to Los Angeles and ended up catching the same plane as Young. During the flight, De Laurentiis noticed Young and told Lynch, I bet that girl's an actress. <laughs> this is the fucking clueless age they lived in. Um, a stewardess told the pair that her name was Sean Young and De Laurentiis confronted Young about standing him and Lynch up. Misunderstanding sorted out. The three ended up drinking champagne and reading the script together upon returning to Los Angeles. That's cool. Yeah, it's pretty weird, huh? Uh, as a result of its poor commercial and critical reception, all initial plans for sequels were canceled. Uh, it was reported that David Lynch was working on the screenplay for Dune Messiah and was hired to direct a second and third Dune film. In retrospect, Lynch acknowledged he should have never directed Dune. Wow. That's kind of just his feeling on the whole thing. So You can't um, blame him. So, director trademark. Uh, Lincoln. Lynch dis- disowned the extended television cut. He chose the name Judas Booth to appear as the screenwriter in this cut. Oh, wow. This name is a combination of Judas Iscariot, uh, the apostle that betrayed Jesus Christ, and John Wilkes Booth, the one that killed Abraham Lincoln. Uh, with this in-joke, Lynch meant that the studio betrayed him and killed the film. The director's credit is the usual in these uh, cases. Wow, that's like, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's really... That's a whole other yeah, there was, there movie was all, on its own, probably. Uh, Jodorowsky, Alejandro Jodorowsky, a director in, in way in the back back in the day uh, in the seventies, he he planned on uh, doing that. And oddly enough, bringing the Ridley Scott thing kind of full circle, the the person that he wanted to be the director of art and all that stuff was H.R. Geiger, oh, wow. the one who gave us all the Alien stuff. Nice. Um, so David Carradine was going to play Duke Leto. Um, yeah, it was it was very. He was going to cast his own son as Paul. Orson Welles was going to be the fa- the Baron. Uh, oh wow! Yeah, it was. Um, There's a lot. Oh, now this would have been cool though too. Uh, Jodorowsky's version of it. Yeah. Guess who was going to do the soundtrack? 
Toto again? No, Pink Floyd. Oh, really? Right? I was like, wait a minute. Wow. Not to take anything away from Toto, because I thought they did a pretty good job. But still Pink Floyd. Right. Um, Yeah, it was just... There's there's a lot of stuff they see. While shooting on location in Mexico, filming came nearly to a halt when most of the cast and crew came down with Montezuma's Revenge. Oh, God. Yep. The uh, studio had to build a full cafeteria large enough to accommodate the entire cast and crew for every meal, as well as import all the food from the United States to keep the film on schedule. Yeah. Um, this is the film debut of Kyle MacLachlan. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, he's probably doing TV stuff and everything. Yeah. Frank Herbert was still alive at this time. The guy who wrote the novel, he was still alive at the time. He's passed now. His son actually takes a lot, uh, does a lot of stuff. Does the estate yeah. stuff. Um, he goes, I enjoyed the film, even as a cut. Um, and I told it as I saw it. What reached the screen is a visual feast that begins as Dune begins. And you hear my dialogue all through it. I have my quibbles about the film, of course. Paul was a man playing God, not a God who could make it rain. Yeah. So it was, it was a little it was a little like yeah. the author of the book kind of going like, that's a little too on the nose. And to tie into what you'd said earlier, the first this was the first movie to feature a computer-generated human form for the body shield. That's, it's interesting. Yeah. Like it, People will look at it now, like even kids probably look at it now and be like, wow, that was really weird. But for us and for just movie junkies in general, would see that scene going like, whoa, okay. You can only imagine the logistics of getting that scene done right. Well, you know, like we said, it was, it was a $40 million budget in 1983-84. Uh, when it was released in uh, December 14th in 84, it did. It was number two domestically behind Beverly Hills Cop. Wow. Yeah. And it ended up breaking in like $30 million, but because of the cost of the film, it... Didn't make it. Yeah, it, it, it was treated like it was a bomb. Um let me see. Uh, the, okay, so the musical instrument, like I was saying, that played by Sir Patrick Stewart, the Balisset, is what he, you know, uh, Gurney Halleck uses. It's actually called a Chapman stick. It's an electric guitar and a bass created in the 1970s by Emmett Chapman, uh, who plays the music that you hear in the film. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, uh, let me see. Despite being considered a financial flop, it's, uh, uh, it is the David Lynch movie to make the most money in its initial box office run and the only one to break into the top five in its opening weekend. I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of these other little... There's a shitload of fun facts. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple others. I'm going to try to skim through these, but there's one here that I was like, ooh. One scene called for Duke Leto, uh, you know, Jürgen Prochnow, to be strapped to a black stretcher and drugged. During one take, a high-powered bulb positioned above Prochnow exploded due to heat raining down molten glass. Ah. Remarkably, Prochnow was able to free himself from the stretcher moments before the glass fused itself to the place he had been strapped. Eey. During the filming of the dream sequence, the Baron uh, approached Leto, who had special apparatus attached to his face so that the green smoke would emerge from his cheek when the Baron scratched it. You remember, it was like he's kind of yeah. picking at it or whatever. Um, although thoroughly tested, the smoke gave uh, Prochnow first and second degree burns on his cheek. Oh, God. The scene's not in either version of the American DVD. Val Kilmer turned down the role of Paul Atreides. Uh, oh. Yeah. Glenn Close turned down the role of Lady Jessica, not wanting to play the girl who's always running and falling down behind the men. I'm like, that wasn't should, Jessica. Should... Here, let me see. At one point, Paul Atreides says to his mother, if we walk without rhythm, we won't attract the worm. The line is sampled in the song Weapon of Choice by Fatboy Slim. That's that one, you know, yeah. if we walk without rhythm, we won't attract the way. Yeah, it's, I've, I heard it in there too. Um, so in 2010 on YouTube, Sean Young posted a six minute video, I'll have to look this up too, of behind the scenes footage from the film, which she had recorded on the set with a Super 8 camera in 1983. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so here's the thing about the weirding module, okay? The weirding module was written into the film to replace the Bene Gesserit martial art referred to by the Fremen as the weirding way. David Lynch's decision to use the modules was taken because he found the idea of the weirding way unworkable on film, which mm. makes sense because when you see oh, yeah. it, when you see it in the sci-fi thing too, it's it's really it's hard to translate what they're talking about. Um, I would love to see somebody else do a take on this, you know, and like how it goes. Well, soon um, we will. <laughs> let me see. Hopefully, hopefully, it doesn't um, get stuck in pre-production hell. Yeah, he, he stated he did not want to see kung fu on the dunes. Uh, that's what he was trying to avoid with all that stuff. The weirding module uh, was later seen in the computer games Dune, 1992, and Emperor Battle for Dune, 2002, uh, as powerful handheld weapons used by the Fremen Fatakeen special units. The building of a, let me see, there's another computer game called Dune 2, The Building of a Dynasty, came out in 1992, and, two, and Dune 2000. The weirding modules are the inspiration of sonic tanks deployed by House Atreides. So yeah, they you know uh, Helena uh, Helena Bottom Carter was originally cast as Princess Irulan. That'd be cool. Yeah, but scheduling conflicts with a room with a view, ooh, forced her to leave the film. Do you remember the scene towards the end where they're where Fade and uh, and Paul are go you know like going into their sword or sword fight their knife fight? Yes. Okay, and there's the drummers that are going. Yeah. I had thought this for the longest time too, and they finally interviewed this person, and he was like, "No, nah, it wasn't me in it." Okay, so although it's been claimed that singer Michael Bolton has a cameo as one of the drummers seen when Fade and Paul start their duel, Bolton himself finally denied this in 2012 radio interview with an Australian broadcaster, Joel Reinberger. <laughs> I want to fucking I want to send a note to Joel Reinberger and be like, "Good eye," because yeah. every time I've seen it, I was like, "Is that fucking my?" He looks just like Michael Bolton. And, uh, yeah, just, it, because you see what they're doing, that, bam, 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 the drums, the fight, yeah. yeah, and you, you can see them in that one, too. Um, I mean, there's, seriously, this is one of the longest fun facts things that I've ever, um, that I've ever come across. Like, I'm still, oh, yeah. as I was it, talking it, to you, I'm still scrolling. It's a vast page. It's, it's really interesting, you know. Um, what, one of the things they don't tell you is, like, at the end of the film, you'll see it in the extended version of it, but, um. Uh, Paul marries Princess Irulan. Okay. Uh, to to tie the bloodlines together, and put an Atreides on the emperor seat. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that's the whole thing. And and then the the message is the the name like uh, um, Chani. You know, she's like she'll be known as she's known as this. You know, like she's she's the 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 one that he has to marry, the betrothed or whatever that he has to marry. But the, the name of concubine will always be known as wife. Yeah, you know, and that kind oh, of yeah. thing, and so it's like who she's in, who he's, you know, he yeah. loves and has children with, and stuff like that, but not, you know, and he says at one point he'll have to have children with Princess Irulan as well to bring that, yeah, yeah, to close that, you know, bloodline and all that stuff. But um, I mean, it's 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 really it's a novel that's really steeped with a lot of lore. It's I've always referred to it as kind of like the Lord of the Rings in space. Um, it's you know. It, the in-depth that Tolkien takes in, in the Lord of the Rings and all of the, you know, subsequent books and, and, uh, and whatnot. Um, Frank Herbert really does the same thing in space and yet keeping it with a, you know, uh, monarchy type thing. It was funny because they, they interview him at one point and he's, uh, you know, before his passing and Frank Herbert was like, you know, they're like, what's, what was, what was the message behind Dune? Like, what was the real message behind Dune? And he just flat out goes, uh, don't always trust your leaders. 
Like, Guru and Power, I was like, oh, that fucking resonates hard right now. Yeah. So that may be why Dune is going to be such a front runner, you know, for, for a contention film, you know, now, like, coming, that they're considering going into production, you know, with a, a new version of it. Uh, it seems pretty prevalent and stuff like that, but uh, that's that's pretty much the trivia that wraps up. Uh, yeah, this Dune. one was a, kind of a you heavy episode. It, it very much <laughs> is because this is the passion piece for me. Like, oh yeah, no. As much as I can stand back and just laugh my tits off about, uh, so I married an axe murderer, you know, which was over a year ago. I, I I can go through that over and over again. This film, I take so much pride in this film. I love this fucking movie. And everybody looks at me like I'm nuts, but I love no, no. this fucking movie. Like, like I said earlier, like I know I'm pretty quiet throughout this entire thing, yeah. and I even said like, ah, oh, there's some stuff I still didn't understand, but I could see where the fandom comes from. I could right. see so, how this movie is such locked in theatrical history, but also too, like we we're talking about with David Lynch's right. ups and downs with it, I can also see what possibly could have caused him to be like. Don't ask me about this movie. Yeah, it's it's a lot. Like I think he probably was undercut and and had his legs kicked out from underneath him and his vision and the scope yeah. of it all. Because honestly, I at the time, I can't think of another director who would have a creative or a kind of a a sideways view of how to approach it better than Lynch. Yeah, you know he's he's got an an odd artistic eye for things and and Dune was right in their form and it, it's sad because I wish they would have given him more support to to do that you know um <clears throat> but again still it, if that, you take that long in production it's, well you got to think the hollywood system now compared to then mm-hmm. the studios were like now the studios are kind of more okay let's see what happens here let's see what happens back then studios were more, more like iron-fisted like yeah, no this, you're, you have our money you can't do this exactly the fact that this thing you know was was released even with all of the you know setbacks and things that it was is just a testament to how strong the story is. So I'll look forward to something in the future. But before we jump into our rapid fire recommendations, yeah. is there any specific thing, any one or two things you can think of off the top of your head that I can clear up like really quickly? For um, you? The only thing, <clears throat> the only thing, mm-hmm. and I'm not really sure you'll be able to answer this. Okay. What the hell was up with that pug? It's just their family. It's it's like kind of like how the queen is with corgis. Yeah. It's how the the, the Atreides are. You know, the the pug is kind of a, uh, they're so it, they're it, thought of as a resilient type of dog. You know, like they they. So there is lineage to the book with the pugs. A little bit, yeah. Oh yeah. wow, okay. I, I kind of looked, I looked into it a little bit more, and it turns out that it's a, you know, it's just kind of a, a staple, you know, sort of thing. And yeah, it, because I thought it was just like probably a David Lynch thing, like, yeah, that dog would look cool in the scene. <laughs> Those dogs look awesome in the desert. Yeah, um, yeah, it just looks like they're smushed faces. Yeah, that's that's about it. You know, there's um, yeah, because like with this entire episode, <laughs> that opened a lot of doors for me. Going, oh, okay, yeah, yeah but there's just that damn dog. <laughs> yeah, it's um, I mean, all in all, it's it's just a it's a trip of a movie, and um, you know, it's very religious as it is espionage type, oh, yeah, you know, very. And, and so you just have to. Uh, you just have to sift through it. You know, like if you just stand back and try not to figure everything out and just enjoy the film, it's fucking outstanding. And so it's definitely yeah. just ask why not when it comes to this. Pretty much. Pretty much. You just have to go, eh, why the fuck not? Yeah. So, as you said, with a rapid fire, we usually end with um, some kind of a rapid fire. Well, I've been jabbering my ass off, so I'm going to let you lead off with this one. Yeah. Uh, for this one, since Dune is a book adaptation, mm-hmm. and since this is the month of March, and we're rapidly approaching the theatrical release of another uh, but a book, oh, uh, another book adaptation we are waiting for with bated breath. Look, they're, I've resigned myself that they're going to do an amazing fucking job oh, with yeah. what with what they can work with because 
you know, like the more Ernest, Ernest Klein said flat out, this is meant to be, and he used the word sandbox. Yeah. He said this, this was a novel, novelist, you know, like a, a novelist sandbox for so many different properties and things like that to be used. And it was a nostalgic thing. And there's so many different, if they even get it, an ounce of that, with all the heart and intention in that book, it's going to be perfect. Oh, yeah. More and more I see the trailers for Ready Player One. That's yeah, what we're talking that's about. that's what we're talking about. Okay, I'm like, what are they talking about? <laughs> On my fucking third listen right now. Yeah, I'm so. going to be starting out my second listen here soon, too. Third uh, listen and fourth total because I read, or actually physically read the book, too. So. Yeah. Uh, we're going to give you a quick uh, one-shot of uh, book adaptations that we recommend to you. And uh, for me, mine is going to be Silver Lining Playbook. Ooh, good yeah. one. I dug the book. I dug the movie. <laughs> it was one of those rare ones where, like, there were certain things that were in the book but not in the movie where I was like, oh, come on, where was that? And vice versa. But it wasn't a, uh, you ruined the book. You ruined the movie. Like, you sit with people watching Harry Potter and are like, well, that's not in the book. That's not in the book. Yeah. And they, there's people that, when it comes to book adaptations to movies, they are venomous. <laughs> it's true. But, I mean, if you go back to, the to you know, the very first summer blockbuster, Jaws. Yeah. Um, they did the smart thing. Spielberg did the smart thing. He tapped Peter Benchley to write the screenplay. Like, hey, you know, teach me to keep this so that there's not too much going on. Let's keep it in within the realms of this. But we want to keep the heart of the novel, you know, involved there, you know. And so I, I've always said I would love to see a true book adaptation of Jaws. Um, it'll have but, to be from Spielberg because he's said it's never going to happen again. Right, it'll never happen again. And yeah. nobody's ever going to touch it again. Um, and that's fine. I'm okay with that. Um, I will throw out another Spielberg film, uh, Jurassic Park. Nice. Yeah, Good I will choice. say Jurassic Park because uh, it was one of those ones that I read after I saw the film. And that's what's given me so much confidence about Ready Player One, which is there was no way they could do everything that they wanted to do in the in the full scope of that. And so, you know, if anybody's going to handle it correctly, it's going to be Spielberg. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, for me, it's it's Jurassic Park. Yeah. Really and there's a bunch of those, too. Like, we've talked in the past about uh, mm-hmm. what dreams may come and all that stuff. So, mm-hmm. we'll probably delve into this a little bit more later, too. But um, I guess for now... Do you have another one you want to throw out there? No, it's just... No, not really. Do you I have one? I got one more. Okay, one more I'll th- throw out there. And... I'll throw out another one, too. Okay. Uh, uh, like I just said, what dreams may come. Yeah. Um, if you read the book compared to the movie, it is polar opposites. Because when you see the book... There was no way in hell that they were going to be able to transfer yeah. because it's such. There's so much theology, religious aspects in the book for what dreams they come. What they were able to pull off for the movie was good. It, what dreams they come is an underrated, visually, it's beautiful. Yeah, uh, is an underrated Robin Williams movie. Yeah, but there it was the best they can do with that source because there's no way in hell. But what dreams they come is a. Under the radar movie that a lot of people forget about. Well, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna throw this out here, and I, I don't want to like piss anybody off or do anything because I'm not I'm not talking about other comic book adaptations or anything like that. But uh, I'm gonna throw out there Watchmen. Um, Watchmen, yes, it was a graphic novel, but is it was intended to be unfilmable. Yeah, that was Alan Moore's entire purpose was like I'm creating this, so it's you're never you, gonna you be able never to put touch this. And they did such a fucking great job. They with did. It. I know in the past, nowhere I have uh, poo pooed. Yeah. on Watchmen but recently in the like in the past like year or so yeah. like kind of stepping back and checking it out like on HBO and the uh, the rumblings of the Watchmen series for HBO yeah. I've been checking the movie and going like okay okay yeah so that was for me it was just like I, I understand it's not a like it's not your traditional novel it's a graphic novel yeah but still it was meant to be a graphic novel it wasn't like a, a well that that short run graphic novel is the closest thing a graphic novel can be a full fledged novel. Mm-hmm. 
I agree. Yeah. But uh, I just wanted to throw that out because I, I really love that adaptation. Yeah. It was one of my favorites. So. Yeah. Uh, but with all that being said and yeah. everything, uh, it's great to be back in the why not world. Yeah. I'm looking forward to getting into more and, uh, you know, with, with April approaching. Yeah. That's what I was about to say. Uh, couple kinda... of the, a couple of the ones you threw out at me. Now, now my, my curiosity is firmly fucking peaked. Yeah. Like, I don't want to uh, give anything away, but Jesus Yeah. In God. the past, in our Aprils, we kind of started our traditional whys. Mm-hmm. Uh, we missed it last year, uh, but I think I've chosen the right one to go with. And since we recently dove into the world of commentaries, I think this coming up why will be a commentary. I think it needs to be uh, because you really need to go down the the, the what the fuck. Because like uh, we're we're going to be taking a little bit of, a bit of a bite of the apple. Yeah. If and, you uh, know about this movie, you're sitting there going like, "Why are you doing this to yourself?" <laughs> It's uh, it's going to be uh, kind of our our launch into uh, a bit of the investigation into the background of the uh, Golan Globus, uh, Canon Canon Films yeah, yeah. productions. Uh, you know, a lot of those lot of those films that came out in the early '80s, breaking and breaking two and all that oh, shit. God. And, but we're diving in oh, head first. Fucking you! You told me about this, and I was like, huh. And I, I watched the trailer, and I'm so fucking intrigued. I can't wait to watch this, it, how bad of a train wreck it is, or if it's going to be one of those ones like Repo the Genetic Opera, where it's like, so, so bad this it's is good. so bad, I love this fucking movie. But until April, yeah. uh, this has been Josh. This has been Nick, and thank you for listening to me ramble on and on about my fucking passion, David Lynch's uh, uh, 1984 Dune. And I just sit here and say, hey, why not?